last week, and uh, but did not touch on the on the writing itself. Um, and last week, Dave's introduction uh, came out of Acts 16, where uh, Paul first touches base in uh, the city of Philippi, where the uh, Church of Philippians became established, and. Um, He, he spoke about uh, where, where um, Paul and uh, I believe it was Silas at that time and others on the Sabbath went down to the river to the place where they thought there would be prayer happening and they met with uh, Lydia. And that was the, the beginning of the establishment of the church. And I encourage you to go ahead and read the book or the Acts chapter 16 um, as we as we. Uh, gear up for 17 um, parts of uh, Philippians to look at. So prepare yourself for the months to come. Um, go check out Acts 16 because that's the picture of, of Paul and, uh, and Silas entering into the city and, and the church becoming established. And I love Acts in that it's, it's, it's a story. It's, it's a story that tells you what's happening. So encouragement to go check it out as we start into Philippians. David spoke about um, the meeting with Lydia, and his his focus that really hit home with me was um, how probably it's not scriptural, so to speak, but probably Paul's encounter with Lydia was an answer to prayers long time. Lydia was a God um, prayer. She was she knew God, but she didn't know Jesus. She hadn't heard about the coming King or the, that the King had come, and, uh, and and David related that to um, the answered prayers of of the people in Prima Tapia, uh, down in Mexico. How how years before they had to have the they had had a word that people from the north would come down and would be would be ministering to them, and how how it took years for that to develop, but it was answered. And it's an encouragement, absolute encouragement, as we enter into the beginning of Philippians, to understand that those prayers that you've offered up, and those prayers that others have offered up on your behalf have not fallen on deaf ears. And to persevere with those prayers and to be encouraged that those prayers are to be answered. Now, I don't promise that they are what you want them to be, but they will be answered. So, uh, stepping from that introduction uh, in Acts into Philippians, I'm going to need my glasses. We step into the beginning of the letter uh, by Paul, and it is self-evident, or it's very evident um, as you begin to read uh, Philippians. And I've been assigned a specific. I have uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 to speak to. And in those chapters, in those short verses, um, it's very evident that Paul, in writing this letter, is wearing a mantle of prayer. 
Paul is uh, is writing this letter. That's what I can figure out about 10 years after the church has been established. Um, he's writing this letter from prison. Um, if you've, uh, you've many, most of you probably have encountered Philippians in the past. Uh, I had the privilege of um, reading the whole book to you guys uh, last year sometime. And the theme that came through that the whole book uh, was one of joy. Here's a guy that's in prison and, and he's just full of joy for the, the folks that church in, in Philippi. Um, so I'm going to read and uh, I will just chatter as I go through. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. It is written to all of God's people in Philippi who believe in Christ Jesus and to the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Here's prayer number one. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you. He's just praying all the time. And you know, I used that word. I gave. I was given that word, that mantle of prayer. Um, just picture that. What, what's a mantle? Uh, I actually went and looked it up to make sure I spelled it right. So it's like, man, that's not right. A mantle spelt. As I mean it, as, I, as I've been presented with it, it's like a cloak. It just wraps around you. And uh, Paul is just wrapped up in prayer. I always pray for you, and I make my requests with a heart full of joy, because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finished, finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back. One of the things that was highlighted to me as I was reading through this, began to, began to look at this, um, is what, does, what, what God do you want me to, to pull out of this? Um, one of the things that was highlighted uh, is that there are certain things that are written in Scripture, and particularly when we're talking about um, letters, epistles, that are specific to the folks that he's writing to. And then there's those things that uh, we get to pull out and apply to us. And it's really important, I think, when when you're reading through and studying the Bible, that you keep that in mind because we have this habit or we tend to lean towards either um, taking the things that don't apply to us and applying them to us. And that's particularly dangerous, I think, because then we apply those things to others around us. And if it's not correct, it hurts. We also have the danger of ignoring things that... I know it's not so much a danger of ignoring things that do apply to us, but... but, um, we're definitely blessed when we recognize that which we can take and go, hey, this is for us too. I got keyed on in on that because I read, and I am sure that God who began good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day. That's for us. That was specific to the Philippians, but that's for us too. God started a good work in you, and he's going to finish it. 
Continuing on, it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a very special place in my heart. We have shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't love us, although I could perhaps say he does, because <laughs> he's alive, also in heaven, and I wonder if he's listening right now, I don't know. But the fact that he points out that he loves them with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ, that is something that we can grab a hold of too. Tender compassion. I mean, I, I don't like that Jesus, I don't want to say I don't like. I'm wary of always presenting Jesus as a soft guy because he's a warrior. He's coming back. Watch out. Man, it's going to be awesome. But in his relationship with you as a believer, he has tender compassion. And that sort of thing, that sort of understanding that he has tender compassion allows us, if we'll grab hold of that, to do something that Eric spoke about a couple of weeks ago about being so close to Jesus that when those hard things come, you can step back into the rest of God. That tender compassion of Jesus Christ is right there if you understand it's for you. Verse 9. This is the one that popped out at me when I first sat down couple of weeks ago and said, where's the message here? I pray that your love, there he goes praying again, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. Wow. And then verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters. Okay, so I read that. I want you to understand what really matters. Here's the crux of the Christian life, Paul is saying. This is what is absolutely pinnacle. All the other stuff about living this life as a Christian pales in comparison or actually falls by the wayside we don't understand what really matters. Backing up, verse 9. I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more, and that you'll keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. I was immediately reminded of uh, John 13, 34. Which reads, and this is Jesus speaking, 
So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Paul wrote, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more. Coupled with John 13, 34. If your love for each other, and we get to grab a hold of this one for us, this is universal. If your love, if our love for each other will overflow, the world will know we are his disciples, and the end result of that is they will come into the kingdom also. Boy, does that matter? Absolutely. I had this picture. I wondered. Um, I actually asked, because I got keyed in on this word overflow, which Patty used in her prayer. I keyed in on that. Um, I asked for a picture. How, how can we demonstrate what it's like to overflow? And I was brought back to this memory as it went when I was a kid, and many of you probably did this sort of thing too. Um, I grew up in Ottawa, and Ottawa is situated up against the uh, Ottawa River, and the way the city has been planned in the last hundred years, um, they established this uh, green belt around the city where nobody could uh, develop, and it's like a few kilometers wide, and so um, if you if you lived right on the outside of that, that border, um, you got woods in your backyard. And that's where I grew up. I grew up right on the right on the edge of the green belt. And of course, over the years, the city grew up outside of that. But so I grew up city kid in the woods. It was pretty weird. And we had a brand new school when I was in grade seven and eight, and it was right there too on the border. Uh, it literally um, there's a school, and then there's a creek, Danish drainage ditch, soccer field, and woods. And um, we had this, we had this uh, thing on Friday afternoons where we got to do some weird things. Some teacher would teach us some weird thing. And, and I remember this one time, um, that weird thing on Friday afternoon for our group was uh, to dam up the creek. They don't allow that anymore. But anyway, it was to dam up the creek. This was the picture that was given to me. And we were, what, uh, 12, 13 years old, and uh, we had this chore to dam up the creek. Well, if, you, if you've done that, who's, who's done that? Try to dam up a creek? Yeah. You know it doesn't work. But the picture, and I wondered, why, why am I getting this picture um, to demonstrate or to, 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 to talk about this passage? And, and I was presented with this picture of me in the creek... Normally, when you try to dam up a creek, um, you're on the downside of the water. But the picture was me on the upside of the water, facing the backside of the creek, trying to diligently dam the thing up. And um, then the relation to my life now is, if that's me now, as a believer in Christ who's immersed in the love of God because he just, just keeps pouring out. And, and note that the imagery that's, that it pours
pours, God just pours it out, speaks of the living water and fountains of life, and, and God's pouring this out, and it's, and I'm so busy building this dam with the things I do in my life, which may be good things. I heard that somewhere recently. Maybe good things, but they aren't the best things. And I can actually successfully jam up that love of God that I'm immersed in. Um, I can be so successful at that that it won't overflow. And sometimes, um, if that's a recognition of my life, I need to actually just stop rest, come back to God, maybe put some things down, and let let the love begin to overflow. Because if you let it, if you let it, I can say in, but that's not so correct because it's just, it's here. If I'll stop fighting it and accept God's love, it'll overflow. You can't stop it. That verse also said, <clears throat> I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. Remember, this is the thing that really matters. This is what Paul has said. I want you to understand what really matters. That you keep on growing in your knowledge and and understanding. Knowledge here isn't about, so to speak, um, reading the Bible and knowing facts and all that sort of thing. Knowledge here has a very strong component, which for me is encaps encapsulated in uh, Psalm 34 8. Uh, I read that somewhere, kind of follows me around. Where it reads, taste and know that the Lord is good. This is the kind of knowledge that Paul's talking about. It's about, it's about experiencing God. It's about stepping into the things that he presents for you to do. It's about being obedient to the things he would have you do. And when we, when we willingly willingly lay down our will. Does that make sense? When we willingly step into the things that he asks us to do that go against what we in the natural want to do, um, we experience God. We taste and we know that he is good. Understanding, growing your knowledge and understanding. Understanding here, again, isn't Understanding God's motivations. It's not about understanding God's feelings. It's about growing in your spiritual discernment. That's the large component here. It's in, in as you grow in your knowledge, as you taste, as you experience, the eyes and ears of your spirit 
get bigger, get sharper, get more uh, acute. You begin to sense God's desires for you more often. You, you know when, yes, that's God wanting you to do that and not yourself. That um, is the understanding. And these are the things that Paul says really matters. Allow the love to overflow. Taste God. Experience God. And allow your spiritual discernment to grow. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. Not a lot to say there except the word blameless. And the desire is on Paul's part for the people in Philippi and for us. The desire is that we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, that we would become we would, be, we, would, we would become so much like Christ um, that, that we're hard to tell apart from Christ. Um, and that in that when, that, when that, when that progresses, that we will be blessed and we will live blameless, not lives. Blameless here um, isn't so much about your sin, it's actually more about your life is so pure, you don't cause others to sin. You're blameless in, in, in the falling of others. And, and the corollary to that is um, people come into the kingdom because of your life that doesn't make them stumble. That sounds hard, because it kind of is hard. We're, we're, we, we were fallen creatures. We're born again. We're new creations. We have new hearts. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. We have the grace of God available, poured out. And yet, I find it hard. In reading this, I also immediately thought of Second Peter 1, Three to seven, which I didn't write down, but I have the book. And Second Peter, Second Peter, uh, chapter one. I was going to read more of it, but I'm going to shorten this a little bit. But it's important, I think, to touch on this because. Um, Verse 5 starts with, So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. Something we've just sort of been talking about. More, a life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. And patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians, and finally you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. First time I read this passage um, with the intent to uh, 
actually examine it, um, the thought was that this was really, really hard to do because it just I had this picture of, of a ladder. And, and so the ladder was, um, the first step was a life of moral excellence. And then if I achieved that rung, that that would lead to, uh, to lead to knowing God better. And so then I would, once I know God better, then, then I'm, uh, I'm going to have a life of patient endurance and so on and so on. And finally at the top, well, I can actually maybe do that thing that I'm supposed to be able to do is to love everybody. How's that going for any of you? Doesn't work for me. So that I have this picture. I mean, it's just just trying to climb this ladder is like just sweat dripping off your face, and you just you just can't do it. And then um, right on the heels of that, I, get, I was given this picture of um, no, wait a second, that's not the way it works. That's that's, that's not what I want you to do. Says, I, I want you to take this. And in, in that picture, and I, and I think this one sounds hard too, but it's, it's not meant to be. In that picture, take this slab, take this patio slab. Who's going to light that up? Have you ever looked at the patio slab? They're really heavy. But take this, take this board, take this plank, and just lay it down. That, and that's your, that's your life of moral excellence. But it's only one step of moral excellence. It's only one decision of moral excellence. It's one thing God said, here, I want you to do this. And you chose to do it. And he hands you this, this plank and you get to lay it down. And that leads to whatever's next in the list. I forget. And you've, I might as well look it up. It's right here. Knowing God better. Thank you. And however that looks like, you've come to know God better, you've experienced Him, you get the plank for that, and you get to lay it down in front of the first plank. And that leads to self-control. So on some small thing that comes along, where you wouldn't have, have had any self-control before, but now you've got the Spirit of Christ in you, and you've been asking for this, and you know it's available, and all of a sudden, you make a choice, and then afterwards you go, hey, hey, that? That wasn't me. That was Christ. I never would have done that before. And he hands you the plank, and you get to lay it down in front of him. And, and, and the picture here, actually, is you get to lay those planks down in a circle. And as you come back around to the last plank, that's loving everybody. Well, you've got some little measure of you can love everybody a little bit better. And the thing is, you're back where you started. Because life, life is continuing and everything, everything we do has got to do with God. And, and there's an opportunity to get another plank, to do something. Be presented with an opportunity. And you accept that and you get to lay that plank down on top of the first one. And that leads around and leads around. And over the years, that just built up. And you're not climbing a ladder. You just... Before you know it, you're like, you're like, and this isn't about being high and mighty, it's about being closer to God. But before you know it, you're closer to God. And you didn't even, you didn't see it was happening bit by bit. So this isn't meant to be hard. Paul's prayer 
is that we would come to know God. We would understand Him. We would have knowledge. Knowledge that matters. And it's not hard. Life's hard. But accomplishing this is not that hard. I'll finish off with... um, Verse 10. Oh, that's the wrong book. I was looking at that going, that's not it. Verse 11. Paul's back in his prayer. He's still got his prayer mantle on. And so I'm going to read verse 11 as my prayer for all of us. 